and read for us. John chapter 4. And starting at verse 1 on page 1071. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is coming from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what did you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Okay, thank you, Deborah. Um, 
Before we continue, um, let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your words. We thank you that um, you are near to us as you speak your words to us. And we pray, Father, that um, you would reveal yourself to us this morning and you would help us to respond to you, um, to give you glory and to worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So if you've been with us over the last few Sunday mornings, um, you'll know that we're in the middle of a series um, looking at God, um, who God is, what God is. Um, And we've been looking at some of the God is statements in the Bible. Um, So we've seen that God is not a human. Um, We've seen that God is a shield and a sun. And we've seen that God is an everlasting rock. Um, And this morning we're looking at the statement, God is spirit, um, in verse 24 um, of the fourth chapter of John's Gospel. Um, So it would be a great help if you could keep that passage open, as we will be referring to it um, through the course um, of this morning. Um, But I wonder if this week's verse, um, God is spirit, at first just seems quite quite abstract, um, a bit too philosophical. maybe even a bit irrelevant to our situation. Um, This morning I want to show us that that isn't the case. And for a start, when Jesus tells the Samaritan woman in this passage that God is spirit, um, he's in the middle of an intensely personal um, and cathartic dialogue. Um, It's Jesus at his most piercing and pastoral. And Jesus clearly feels that this truth, that God is spirit is deeply relevant um, to the person he's talking to, and to this woman who's struggling to find satisfaction um, in a broken world. Um, Of course, when the Bible talks about God, um, it isn't to satisfy our idle curiosity. No, it's to make us respond in love and reverence and repentance and faith and humility and service and all those things. Um, It's to make us live for God everywhere and in every situation. And this morning, God speaks to us through his word um, in the midst of um, just an unbearably difficult situation um, as we struggle even to begin to come to terms um, with Helen's death. Um, But I know that what God says to us this morning will be relevant to us, not because of what I say, but because of who God is and what he says. Um, God's word comes to us just as we are in the midst of our pain and grief. Um, It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, even in the midst of darkness. So let's look at this truth in John 4.24, that God is spirit. And I want to approach it by asking three questions. First, what is God? Second, where is God? And third, how should we respond to God, Um, all in the light of this verse? Um, In the first two questions, what is God and where is God, we'll be looking more generally at what the whole Bible has to say about um, the spirituality of God. Um, And in the third question, we'll look more specifically at the immediate context of the verse in John chapter 4. So the first question, um, what is God? Um, Well, it's a pretty basic question, Um, the sort of thing that might get asked by a child, um, by someone in Sunday club. 
Um, but like a lot of basic questions, it's very hard to give a brief or straightforward answer. Um, and this verse, which says God is spirit, is probably about as close as we get in the Bible um, to an answer to this question. Um, so what does it mean to say God is spirit? Um, well, for a start, it means God isn't made of any material substance. Um, to use a technical term, God is incorporeal. I think I pronounced it right. Um, there are other places in the Bible where spirit is contrasted with flesh or other material things and things we touch and feel and see. So at the end of Luke's Gospel, in Luke 24, verse 39, um, when the risen Christ appears to his disciples, um, Jesus tries to convince them that it's really him. And he says, see my hands and my feet, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Um, so, and also in Isaiah 31 verse 3, you don't need to turn to these verses, um, it says, the Egyptians are men and not God, their horses are flesh and not spirit. So again we have the contrast between flesh, material stuff, um, and spirit. Um, and also we can say that um, it's kind of implied in those verses that God is essentially invisible. So when Jesus says, touch me and see, um, he's saying, if you couldn't see me, um, I'd be a spirit. But you can see me, so I'm not a spirit. Um, and this is this um, truth about God, his invisibility, is also in other parts of the Bible. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, um, it says God is invisible. And, of course, in the first chapter of John's Gospel, it says no one has ever seen God. Um, I just want to note in passing, in case um, some of you are wondering that, about the passages in the Bible where it does talk about people seeing God. Um, you might be thinking of Hagar in Genesis 16. Um, I admit I wasn't until I found that in a commentary. Um, or Moses seeing God's form in Numbers 12. Or when Jesus says in chapter 14 of this gospel, um, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Um, so there are bits in the Bible which seem to suggest that people can see God. Um, I think probably the best answer to this is that God is basically and essentially invisible, but that he can choose to reveal himself to people in such a way that people can say, I've seen God, um, even though basically God is still invisible. Um, hopefully that makes sense. Um, it doesn't quite fully make sense to me at the moment, but anyway. Um, so... God is spirit means that God is not made of any material substance, and God is basically invisible. Um, it also means we can rule out other answers to the question, what is God? Um, God isn't pure energy or anything else. God is spirit. Um, but maybe we're wondering, well, you still haven't quite answered the question, what is spirit made of? Um, but I think we have to stop there. Um, we can say what spirit is not, but we can't really say what spirit is. Um, the Bible doesn't really tell us. We can't go into a lab and put God in a lab and investigate his properties and see what elements, or what subatomic particles God is made of. Um, does it even make sense to say God is made of anything? Um, you see, science has conquered so many mysteries about our universe, um, but it can never even begin to conquer the mystery of God's inner existence, of what exactly God is. Um, and this should make us just bow down in awe at the vast difference between us and God. 
Um, as we compare ourselves with God, it's not like comparing me with someone like Usain Bolt. God isn't just a bigger and more powerful um, version of ourselves, a sort of superhero. No, God is spirit. He is vastly um, and unimaginably different from us. Um, to whom will you liken me and make my equal and compare me that we may be alike, says God in Isaiah 46. When God says something or does something and we can't understand, let's remember this is God we're talking about. He is vastly and unimaginably greater than us. His ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. We can't expect to understand how God works all the time. All we can do is bow down before him and worship him. Um, So now our second question. Where is God? Um, Where is God? Well, the words God is spirit um, also teach us about where God is, about his presence with us. Um, For a start, they teach us that God is everywhere. So in John chapter 4, we saw as Deborah read the passage that Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. And she asked Jesus um, in verse 20, she basically asks him where people should worship. And Jesus tells her in verse 21, um, it basically doesn't matter where people worship anymore. Um, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Um, True worship is to do with our inner condition, um, with our spirits, not with where we are. And we're looking at that in more detail a bit later. Um, And that's because God is spirit. So he's present everywhere, in every location. That's why we can and should worship him everywhere. Um, Just think for a moment how amazing this is. Um, It's a simple truth, but it's just mind-blowing. It takes us time to get to other places. Um, Yesterday, I went to Oxford for a wedding. And to get there, I had to go to Cambridge Station. I had to queue for 10 minutes um, in a frustrating queue to get my ticket. I had to go to King's Cross, um, go through the underground in the sweltering heat um, before I could get to Oxford. Um, The round trip took me 200 miles, took me about six hours. By the end, I was exhausted just to get from one place to the other and back again. Um, But of course, for God, um, he is present everywhere um, because he is spirit. Um, He isn't constrained, he isn't limited by space. Um, When I was in Cambridge starting my journey, God was in Cambridge and in Oxford, equally present. Um, He is the Lord of space. He isn't limited by distance. But God isn't just present in a general sense. Um, The Bible also tells us that because God is spirit, he is present with his people, with Christian believers. Um, David says um, in Psalm 139, which is just going to come up on the screen, um, verses 7 to 10, um, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Um, David is saying that he can't get away from God's spirit. He can't get away from God's presence. Um, 
Now, we know that God promises to stay with us, um, if we're Christian believers, he promises to stay with us all through the Bible. Um, He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and that neither life nor death can separate us from his love. Well, because God is spirit, and so we cannot escape from his presence, that makes us believe those promises even more firmly. Um, I guess part of loving someone is wanting to be with them, um, to be there for them no matter what. Um, but because we, we aren't God, because we can't be everywhere, um, we can't do this for people. Um, we get separated, and separation is painful um, for a child on his first day at school, or for the young adult leaving home, or for the friends who move to another part of the country. And most of all, um, in death, which so cruelly tears apart even the tightest bonds of love. Um, And I think this is something that God would tell us. I think it's something we badly need to hear um, this morning. Um, As we just struggle even to begin to come to terms with all the questions and all our emotions um, in the midst of Helen's death. Um, God is telling us this morning that for the Christian, there is one relationship that can never be broken. That he will always be with us, whether we live or die. We will never escape his presence, because we cannot. Even if we move to the other side of the world, even if we die, his hand will lead us, and his right hand shall hold us. God is spirit, um, and we cannot go away from him. Um, And we can say a bit more about what it means for God to be with us, for God to be present with us. Um, In the Bible, um, the word spirit is also used to describe God's power at work in the world and in the lives of his people. Um, So God's spirit is involved in creation um, in Genesis 1. And the spirit gives power to Samson. um, And the prophet Micah says he is filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, as he preaches to Israel. So when we say God is spirit, we also mean that God's power, um, God is, his power is at work in the world and in our lives. Um, God's presence with us is therefore an empowering presence. Um, he, knows, he knows our weakness, um, so he gives us um, a spirit of power. Um, as Psalm 103, which we've been looking at this morning, says, um, God knows our frame, he remembers we are dust. Um, He knows we live in a world where following Christ is hard, where we get tired emotionally and physically um, and spiritually. Um, A world where we need caffeine to stay awake. We wake up tired and go to bed exhausted. Um, We desperately need God's power to keep us going. Um, And because God is spirit, um, it does encourage us that God is, his power um, is at work in us, um, in his people. Um, And finally, just very briefly, the spirit gives life. Um, The word for spirits can also be translated breath. um, And God's breath, or spirits, gives life to Adam in Genesis 2. And in the previous chapter of John, um, it's the spirit who gives new birth to eternal life. It's the spirit who makes people um, become Christian believers. So we can say, um, in answer to the question, where is God? And that God is present with us by his spirit um, to give us power. And also to give us life, eternal life.
um, life that can never spoil, perish, or fade. Um, so, on to our third question. Um, just let me take a drink of water. Um, the third question, and final question that I want to look at, is how does this truth that God is spirit make us respond to God? Um, so, finally, we're going to look at the second half of verse 24. Um, if you'd like to look down at that, it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, Jesus is saying that the way we worship, the way we honour God, is controlled by the fact that God is spirit. And we worship in spirit because God is spirit. Um, so, what does worship in spirit mean? And well, for a start, we see in this passage that worship in spirits and worship in the New Testament after the coming of Jesus um, isn't focused on a particular place anymore. Um, so we've seen that Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman about where to worship says, it's no longer on that mount or on this, in this temple. And we worship God in spirits. That's, what, that's what's important, not location. Um, you see... For if you're an Israelite um, living um, in the Old Testament times, um, the temple would be the focus of your worship, where God's people would gather to worship God. Not that you didn't worship God anywhere else, but just that the temple was the focus of your worship. Um, but Jesus abolishes that old system. Um, he does away with the old temple, and the new temple is the church, not a building, not a church building, but the church as a body of Christian believers. So there are no more holy places. Um, or to put it another way, everywhere is holy ground. Since we can worship God wherever we are, just as well. Um, wherever we gather, um, as Christian believers, um, we, as it were, bring God with us. And when we go home afterwards, we, as it were, take God home with us. So worshipping God in spirit means we are to worship God at all times and in all places because God is everywhere all the time. Um, and that's why um, in Romans 12, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul says um, that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Um, Paul is saying that we are to worship God um, in all our lives, in everything we do, um, in our workplace and with our friends, with our family. Um, it's easy to worship God in church as we sing songs of praise to him, um, as we hear his word that pierces us, um, as we confess our sins and as we hear the gospel. We do feel a great sense of love and adoration, of wanting to worship God. Um, but Jesus says this must be true all the time when we go home, um, not just in church. Um, so, worship in spirit is something that we're meant to do inwardly, um, in our spirits, um, inside us. Um, and we see this at the beginning of Psalm 103, um, which goes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Um, God has always despised worship that looks good on the outside, but is empty on the inside. Um, so, when we sing God's praises... Are we actually praising God with our hearts? Um, when we listen to a sermon, um, do we just look as if we're concentrating? Or are we trembling at God's word? Are we eager to be changed 
Are we desperate to hear from God? Um, this seems very difficult. Um, I know it's very difficult for me. Um, we can't worship in spirit by ourselves. And we can't work up a sense of love or joy or humility by our own efforts. Um, that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us in our spirits to worship him. Um, Jesus tells us, um, again in John, chapter 3, verse 6, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Um, in other words, when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit gives us a new spirit inside us that's able to worship God. Um, and the Holy Spirit continues to help us, um, I think, to worship God um, by giving us that power we were looking at earlier, um, motivating us, producing in us the love and the humility that we need to worship God. Um, and the Holy Spirit also gives us that assurance that as we worship, we are actually worshipping God um, as our Heavenly Father. So in Romans 8, um, God tells us that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Um, and by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. Um, I think this is a very important thing for us to remember um, as a church family um, at this time of tragedy. Um, when there's nothing else we can do or say, um, when we're at our wit's end, the Spirit um, draws near to us. God draws near to us by his Spirit um, in our innermost being, in our spirits. And he enables us to cry out as Jesus cried in his agony in the garden, Abba, Father. There may be nothing else we can say at that point. We may be lost for words. All we can say is just, Father, just like a child or just like an adult might um, run to their parents or call their father um, just in a time of desperation, in a time of need. Um, we can come with confidence to our Heavenly Father and know that he won't hide his face from us. Um, so, worship in spirit, we've seen what worship in spirit is, um, it's something that isn't tied to a location, it's something that happens within us, um, and it's something which God helps us to do by his Holy Spirit. Um, what does it mean to worship in truth, then, um, at the end of verse 24? Well, I don't think it's really um, separate from worship in spirit. Um, you don't have some people who worship in spirit, but not in truth, and some people who worship in truth, but not in spirit. Um, because the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, as John fourteen seventeen says. So to worship in Spirit is to worship in truth. Um, and this doesn't mean that when Jesus says people will worship in the New Testament in Spirit and truth, it doesn't mean that in the Old Testament people were worshipping God falsely. Um, but John does tell us in chapter 1 that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Um, and Jesus is the truth. So worshipping God in truth, I think, um, means worshipping God in a way which focuses on Jesus and is a response to um, his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension. I guess this means that our songs, um, our sermons and our confessions and our prayers um, and all our works of service um, should be based on Jesus, on what he's done for us um, as, as a way of saying thank you to him. Um, so, for example, um, when I'm being impatient at work, I should remember um, that God has been 
God has been patient with me, um, wondrously, um, despite my stubbornness and rebellion. Um, he sent Jesus to die in my place. And I should remember how Jesus took my sin of impatience and bore it on the cross. And in response, stay patient in that annoying situation. Um, I think that's part of what it means to worship God in truth. So, um, to sum up, God is spirit means that we should worship him in spirit and truth. That's how we should respond to God. Everywhere, um, from the heart, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and focused on Jesus. Um, So, in conclusion then, looking back at our three questions, we've seen that God is spirit means he's vastly greater than us. Um, It means he's always with us. And it means we should worship him in spirit and truth. So in conclusion, I want to go back um, to the Samaritan woman at the well 2,000 years ago. Um, A woman who was struggling and failing to find satisfaction in this world, in human relationships. And Jesus tells her, no, what you need is the living water that I promise you. Um, What you need is the only thing that can satisfy your thirst forever. Um, A relationship with God through me. Um, The only thing that can satisfy us is that relationship with God, in which we worship God in spirit and truth, with all our lives, from the heart. So can I ask you this morning, are you one of these worshippers? Have you come to Jesus? Have you accepted his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life? Um, Here on earth, our worship is marred by sin and the broken world we live in. And even though we drink the living waters of Christ, we still cry out like the psalmist did in Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, he says, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. It's a horrible thing to feel physically thirsty, and maybe some of us are feeling slightly thirsty this morning. Um, when our throat feels parched, when we feel like it's just agony, we do anything um, to get a drink of water, to be refreshed. Um, hopefully that won't be too long. Um, if physical thirst um, is painful, then surely spiritual thirst um, is even worse. Um, it's a horrible thing to feel spiritually thirsty. And that is part of our experience um, in this fallen world. But God promises us that one day our spiritual thirst will be satisfied fully. Um, Just as we close, um, I'd like to turn to Revelation chapter 7 um, on page 1240. um, Which is a scene in which God's people in heaven worship him perfectly. And are fully satisfied in him. So John writing says, I'm starting at verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
and all the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Um, It's been in my mind a lot in the last few days, thinking how all this is true of Helen. Um, It's hard to think of a better example of someone who worshipped God on earth in spirit and truth. Um, Someone whose spirit was so clearly overflowing with love and devotion for God um, that just made those around her want to worship God as well. Um, I know that was true for me. Um, But Helen now worships God with the saints in heaven far more gloriously than we who worship him on earth. And God tells us and assures us that he now shelters her with his presence and she thirsts no more. And Jesus guides her to springs of living water and God has wiped away her tears. Um, May this one day be true of all of us here this morning. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, thank you and and praise you um, that you do reveal yourself to us um, in the time of our need um, and that um, in your presence um, is fullness of joy. We thank you, Father, that you are as near to us as the word you speak. Um, Thank you, Father, for revealing yourself to us as spirit um, in all your greatness, your vast difference um, from us, um, in your nearness to us, um, in your presence with us um, through all the difficulties and the, and the sadness of life. Um, and we thank you, Father, that um, you've given us a way in which we can worship you um, in, in, our inward, in our inmost being um, by your Holy Spirit. And please help us, Father, to respond to you um, in worship, in praise, not just today, but um, all through the week and all through our lives um, until we um, are gathered with all your people before your throne. Um, and we see you in your glory. Um, and we pray this um, in the precious name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.